This is the Talk Editions Podcast, episode 31, with Gabby Fluke-Mogul. Gabby Fluke-Mogul is a violinist, improviser, composer, and educator who exists within the threads of improvisation, free jazz, noise, and experimental music. Their playing has been described as embodied, visceral, and virtuosic, and the most striking sound in improvised music in years. They've collaborated with Nava Dunkelman, Joanna Matry, Ava Mendoza, Fred Frith, Luke Stewart, Zena Parkins, Chesser Holmes, Mara Rosenblum, and Pauline Oliveros, among many other musicians, poets, dancers, and visual artists. Gabby holds an MFA in Music Performance and Literature from Mills College, a BA in Music and Early Childhood Education from Hampshire College, and a Deep Listening Certificate from the Center for Deep Listening at Rensselaer. Gabby will play in a trio with Chesser Holmes and Mara Rosenblum on Swoonfest, a festival celebrating Talk's 10th anniversary, happening May 5th and 6th at the Clemente Center in Manhattan. Please enjoy this conversation between Laura Cox, me, Charlotte Mundy, and Gabby Fluke-Mogul. Welcome, Gabby. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you, Charlotte and Laura and Tack. Yeah, thanks for being here. We're so excited that you're here on our podcast. And we're so excited that you and Chesser and Mara are going to play at Swoonfest in May. Thank you. Hooray! Thank you for inviting (laughs) us. Super excited. I heard your trio, when was this? This was over the summer, maybe August or something of 2022? At Shift. At Shift. Mm -hmm. And it was fucking mind-blowing. It was incredible. That was an incredible show. Thanks. And it was, yeah... Y'all set was just so moving. It was so powerful. And we were having this chat and tack of like, what are some amazing things that we've like heard or seen lately that we would want to bring together to like celebrate really the, the musical ecosystem of New York here? And we we're all just like, yo, that trio. Oh, shit. <laughs> that trio's incredible. So we're really grateful. Thank you. Can you tell us a little bit about how you put the trio together, what originally excited you or moved you about bringing together yourself with Chesser and Mara? It's interesting because my connection to both Chesser and Mara is little ones. They're both parents. And I met Chesser and Mara at different points of time. But the first conversations that I had with both of them was about their young people in their life and about young people in general and the power of baby people in this world and supporting them, their voices, their capacities and their capabilities and also how much we all learn from them Mm -hmm. um, and feel inspired by the young people in our lives both like on an everyday basis and their music, their listening so that, when I think to my collaborative work with Chisere and Mara, I, that's the first thing that comes to mind always. I guess that said, maybe like, Gabby, are, <laughs> are you also a parent? Um, and I am not, but I've 
supported and worked with little ones, primarily zero to three years old, in schools and in homes and in community centers for the past 10, 15 years. More than that, yeah. I do a lot of postpartum work. I'm actually really excited because I'm going to become a birth doula. Woo! Um, wow. Which is something I've had on my mind and felt a calling to for many years now. I'm actually going to start my training next month. Cheers! I'm so excited for you. Thank you. That's amazing. Yeah. So that's um, my connection to being with young people. Do you feel like in the trio that that connection to young people is audible in any way in the music you make? Or that people can feel it somehow or that you can feel it in the energy of the trio? For sure. I mean, I think babies and children are the best improvisers. <laughs> um, I think they're the closest to the spirit world in so many different ways. And I think my favorite adult improvisers are the ones who I feel like still have a really strong connection to those parts of themselves and or with young ones in their lives. And then, of course, there's the other huge aspect of playing with Chisera Mara is that they're both fucking incredible musicians, period. I've been listening to both of their music for a number of years now, and it was kind of a fateful coming together almost last minute at that shift gig. That gig wasn't booked as a, a trio with the same personnel, and just due to a lot of shifting right? <laughs> um, situations, we came together as trio. And I'm so grateful we did. The aliveness that I feel when the three of us play together feels super specific. And I always think like, man, it's a joy to play with these two people. So I'm really, I'm really grateful of that. And of the threads lined up in that way that night and that we could come together in trio and that we've been able to carve out space and time to continue working together since then. I'm curious, as someone who knows you and you're playing pretty well, I know the topic of embodiment and embodied sound comes up often in kind of just uh, our chats at least and, and comes up often for me as a listener when I'm hearing you play. How would you describe the connection between an awareness of or connection to youngness, whether it's people's little people or themselves as an adult who's also a young person and embodied playing, embodied sound. I mean, babies and toddlers and other young people are just coming into their bodies and having certain awarenesses and somatic experiences of having fingers <laughs> and feeling warmth and touching things and feeling sensation and having sensation and having emotional experiences. And I think being able to witness and support people coming into their bodies in that way is not only so fucking amazing, period, but also has deeply influenced my own trajectories of somatic work in my own body, which then I believe is a direct translation through my instrument body. Mm -hmm. um, I think we're always playing ourselves. That's just what it is, you know, body through instrument body. Um, everything you've ever heard, every vibration, the ancestors in your body, all the threads that make 
you, who you are, all come out in, I believe, a single tone mm-hmm. in your sound making. I mean, I think Western world, capitalism, patriarchy, bell hooks, mind-body split, and I think trauma in its myriad of complexities disconnects parts of the body, disintegrates parts of the body to and from one another. And so a large part of my work is through my own healing and my own musical creative practice, my own practice and experience with little ones is through embodied somatic work, Mm -hmm. Um, generative somatic work, deep listening work. And yeah, my own, I guess, praxis of my own relationship with my instrument and composing, improvising and performing. Do you have any favorite practices that you'd be willing to share with our audience for like ways that you build and maintain your connection and integration? Sure. I mean, one I always love to share and start with when I'm first meeting someone, no matter really what age they are, where they're at in life, is starting with the soles of your feet. This is from Pauline Oliveros' deep listening work. She shared this uh, exercise with me in California. But yeah, starting with the soles of your feet, bringing your awareness to them and Mm. noticing how you you push down on the earth and the earth pushes back to Mm -hmm. you and that there's a reciprocality there. There's a, a connection with the nerves in the the soles of our feet that connects to the inner organs, connects to our central nervous system. Um, That's also an interesting connection back to little ones and developing hands and feet. So many new sensory nerves and neurons there. But um, yeah, starting with the soles of your feet and slowly moving up Mm. to the the tippy top of your, your head and hair. So taking time and giving yourself slowness, moving your inner awareness from the soles of your feet all the way up to the tippy top of your head and noticing if there's any tension, any shit that's stuck, any things that need a little wiggle or breath Mm -hmm. or slowness and, and giving yourself that. Um, either with your breath or with like a little tap or a wiggle and kind of also being a little playful with it. That always really gets little ones when you start wiggling as an adult and they're like, what? (laughs) Adults having fun? Yeah, you you can still wiggle like that. That's crazy. (laughs) And also you look like a moron. (laughs) Thank you. I do. And that's what I'm here for. That's what I'm here for. Um, But yeah, for me, what's really key to that like warm up, tune in, tune up exercise is like really giving myself that slowness Mm -hmm. to make contact with different areas of my body that need some contact that, you know, I was just talking with some folks in a class at the new school who, you know, like had just come to this improv ensemble after like four other classes and like people are tired and, you know, hungry and et cetera, you know, everything, you know, that academia and like capitalism does to the body. Mm-hmm. 
I offered, I was like, hey, like, do you guys want to, like, do this together? To you can totally be like, nah, Gabby, like, that's lame. But they were all like, yeah, actually, I really would love to just tune in and, like, sit for a minute and, like, do this exercise and, like, feel what's going on in my body. You know, I'm listening while everyone's doing it and hearing the bones crack. You know, people shift and adjust and take breath. And I was like, rad, you know, yeah. please take that with you too. And like, you know, do it before the gig or like while you're backstage or while you're on the train or, you know, when you're experiencing sheer insane levels of stress and exhaustion, like, it's something you can give to yourself. I know for me, sometimes I'm like, I get frustrated or stubborn, or I'm like, oh, I don't need to do this. Or like, that won't help me, or fuck that, no. And then I'm like, Gabby, just like, shut the fuck up for a minute. And like, just literally give yourself some breath. Yeah. It's gonna help you. <laughs> like, come on, you know? I mean, it's amazing because you're describing this and I'm over here sitting in a chair like a, <laughs> Like a soggy pretzel or something. I've got like one knee under the other knee. I'm like, I'm in full, full soggy pretzel body mode. Even so, I'm like, okay, I'm going to think about the soles of my feet, mm -hmm. even in this like really perplexing, like contortionist um, positionality right now. And even just doing that, it shifts, it shifts an awareness and it, it seems to change like the micro and immediate time scale of the body, right? Mm -hmm. It's not, it, it becomes so easy to feel your body as where you're feeling your body's tension in that moment, right? So for me, I'm like, I'm a little stressed this morning. So my arms like, ooh, they hurt, you know? Yeah. I hold so much of that in my arms and in flute land. And just kind of like shifting down the perspective, like it, it like lengthens the time or something like that. For sure. And I'm curious because you mentioned before these kind of um, multiple and concurrent, I want to say timelines, but it's not the right word. It's like these time webs, right? Mm. These like time <laughs> volumetric meshes, shall we say. Oh, yes. <laughs> I guess that. And how we can kind of remember to remember or like remember to channel in to the immensity of these these time webs that we're in through these acts of of shifting or locating and connecting with the body. I'm curious if you can share with our listeners and with us a little bit more about your perception of time. The way you talk about time is very complex and evocative. Sure. Time is queer. Woo! I think time on an um, infinite timeline, timelines, past, present, future is always moving in every direction back and forward through bodies, through the earth, through the spirit world. I think it's all always in play and in flux, which then when you think about improvising <laughs> with other people or even with yourself playing solo, but also, yeah, when you're improvising with other people, you are coming in contact and interacting with their timelines. And so how do we relate? How do we come in contact? How are, how are we in relation to one another's timelines um, in the moment <laughs> mm. and something I think a lot about and used to work with Roscoe Mitchell at Mills College was the concept of duration and feeling 
a sense of embodied time when working with like a fixed duration, like two minutes with all that I said prior, right? Like, oh, Gabby, well, two minutes, like you just said that two minutes could be blah. And it's like, yes, I, I did say that. That is true. And also most of the time we're called to play a 45 minute, you know, you're asked to play certain durations as a musician for all the reasons, right? And so Roscoe, Mitchell would always be like, you got to know what one minute feels like in your body, Mm. in your body. You got to know what two minutes, you got to know what playing for four minutes feels like in your body. And that's what we would do every week in his improvisation ensemble class. We paired up into different bands and then each week was a different time duration. And we would go home and then meet up with, you know, the folks in your band and like practice with a stopwatch because Roscoe also always had a stopwatch on him in class. And you would practice the embodiment feeling like what that time duration felt like in your body. Mm-hmm. And then you'd show up to class the next week and he'd click his stopwatch and you'd play. That to me and that practice, I like am so, so grateful for. And it's something I still do now. And it's something I always offer to students because I think it's so invaluable, especially given, yeah, everything I said starting off this question is like we're moving through so many different experiences of time when we play and to figure out and allow our bodies to know like what these durations feel like alone and then together I think is so important. So does that mean if you are called to play a 45 minute set, do you ever break it down in your head like, okay, it would be cool to play three 15 minute pieces within that this 45 minute set? Do you work in chunks of time like that when you improvise? Or do you prefer to just think, let's see what happens in 45 minutes? It really depends. To me, it depends. Sometimes I definitely chunk in shorter durations. And I'll map it out visually mm-hmm. as well for myself on big paper. I love big paper. I like need that for my for my brain. <laughs> um, or sometimes, yeah, the long form big zone of forty five is what's up. Do you think if time is a web moving in all directions, do you think we can affect the past with our actions in what we perceive as the present? Dang, Charlotte. (laughs) Amazing. (laughs) The hard hitting. Always. Always. Charlotte Mundy, folks. Damn. (laughs) Um, Yeah, I think things ripple back in certain ways. That's maybe as much as I know. (laughs) Yeah, I'm just thinking about that more. I don't know what we carry of our own lived, whether or not remembered past experiences that get housed in our bodies and in our nervous systems. Absolutely, we can change that past. And that's like the great need is the hope for the belief that we can change that past through our present actions or change the story of the past Mm -hmm. through what, what we sculpt as unfolding in the present. I hope. And the, in a way, the past exists because it's acting on the present. So if you change how the past is acting on the present, then you're kind of effectively changing the past. Even if there are like tangible facts that can't be changed, there's a lot of other stuff that can be. Yeah. 
nicest musical form. Yes, it is. It's Jesus all the same Christ. thing. It's all the same thing. Oh my god! <laughs> I'm glad you asked that question about chunking Charlotte because I was going to ask them about how yeah these kind of multiple multiple movements of time all at once impact form. I mean, form is something I also feel very excited about. <laughs> form forever. Yeah, and I think that's also a question I get a lot, both in regard to my recorded mm-hmm. work and also when I play live, is people ask me often about form. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, like the infamous and classic question of... Which is? Um, was that composed or improvised? Gabby, <laughs> wait, was that composed or improvised? Sorry, can you tell me? Yes. Cool. Respect. <laughs> no, I, it also, yeah, it depends. Like sometimes, like the record Love Songs that I put out this past summer. Great records, relative pitch, check it out. Oh, that's a record of compositions. It also includes a large amount of improv- improvisation. <laughs> the forms on each of those pieces are very specific, but they allow space for large amounts of improvising as well. Mm-hmm. And sometimes I'll, in a solo set, for example, play some of those hits. <laughs> that's a, that's a mm-hmm. severe joke. And sometimes if people ask, you know, if a set was composed or improvised, or I'll mention that, that I was, you know, playing a few tracks off of that record, or not. I, I often play largely entirely improvised sets as well Mm -hmm. but I think form plays a huge part in when I think about improvising period and especially improvising solo could you give an example of maybe a form of one of the tracks on love songs sure the most important thing to me in the majority of those tracks is clarity and clarity is also something I think about a lot, a lot, a lot in terms of my own playing and when I'm listening as well to other folks. But I guess an example from one of those pieces is I enjoy using like melodic fragments in a lot of those pieces off love songs. And I like designating for myself when they'll be introduced, where in the form, um, when in the time (laughs) line of it all if I'm preparing a form in that way and when it'll come back how long that fragment is am I reharmonizing it am I destroying it am I playing it as an ostinato Mm -hmm. does it start as not a fragment and then kind of becomes more of a fragment or vice versa what of the like many colors or like tools can I use to work with a melodic fragment in that way? And then in terms of the form itself, what parts are largely improvised or not after a fragment, a melodic fragment takes place, et cetera, et cetera. Do you feel like your relationship to form has changed over the past, well, maybe like over the past decade? Definitely. I mean, for a while I was really into composing thoroughly notated graphic and text in like large scale, like on large pieces of paper in kind of like a map form where people who were reading the score followed the threads 
visually in this big map. I was really into that for a while. Text scores, I've always been super interested in. And when I studied with Pauline at Mills and Fred and Zena, they were all working with, at times within text and figuring out form and like clarity of form in a text score was something I spent a lot of time and still like thinking about and practicing and trying to be super intentional with. And yeah, my concept of form when improvising, both solo and in bands, definitely has changed a lot throughout the years. The inclusion of, yeah, more melodic material and versus not, versus more like noisy stuff, versus playing with a drummer who's keeping time. I think everything impacts form, but I guess at the end of the day, yeah, clarity is directly in relationship to it for me. Do you mean clarity like like the musicians have a sense of clarity or you want it to be clear for the listener? What kind of clarity are you talking about? <laughs> I think all of the above. Yeah, I think clarity in like literally every sense of the perception from myself in relationship to myself, myself in relationship to the people I'm playing with, the listeners in relationship to the people who's playing. Like I think about it in a like very neurotic, definitely like neurotic way. Even if we're playing like balls to the wall, total like dense stuff, is that clear? Do I feel clear in what I'm doing? For myself, in relationship to the people I'm playing with, do I think it's a it's a clear expression in the choice, like to to play that way? Am I clear in like what I'm trying to say? I mean, of course, everyone's everyone's always perceiving, and is going to infinitely perceive things differently. That's awesome and an incredible part of being alive, I think, um, and being a musician. Also, an incredibly frustrating and challenging, like, <laughs> you know, thing. But perhaps it's also, yeah, detrimental to myself. And that's why I say it's neurotic, because I do think it's like something I compulsively think about a lot, my desire to, to be clear. Even if it's lack of clarity, like, or even if what I'm playing is like, not necessarily something that maybe it's like a swamp or you know it's something like but it's a know, clear swamp it's yeah. clear that it is a swamp yeah or my choice to be in that swamp and create it is clear to me mm. well you mentioned your practice with text scores mm -hmm. and i'm wondering if you can tell us a little bit more about that you had this amazing roulette commission in may of 2022 called rue and I'm wondering, can you tell us, I mean, you don't need to start or spend time on Rue if there's something else you'd rather talk about, but just as an opening point, um, could you tell us a little bit about your practice with tech scores? For sure. I'm really interested in tech scores that are process-based and tech scores that are more like ritual and spell or remedy or medicine. <laughs> mm. Like you follow a set of directives that involves consent that allows or doesn't allow or initiates some form of process mm -hmm. spiritually, emotionally, physiologically, and then gets translated sonically. So that's what I'm interested in as a composer of text scores. I'm also interested in duration what does it mean 
for a score to have the duration of 36 days or a score that takes place over the span of seven days um, where you are making contact with yourself or having going through this type of process with the score as a ritual for an extended period of time and then playing. Often my long duration scores involve this process and then a performance, mm-hmm. which sometimes has additional um, directives to it or sometimes not. Rue, for example, was a score with an extended duration that involved working with the plant Rue, making contact with this plant, which um, traditionally has been used by Sephardic and Ashkenazi Jews, in addition to many Arab folks. I mean, Rue originated in the Balkan Peninsula and has traveled throughout the, the globe. But my focus was specifically in like Sephardic traditions of, of medicinal and spiritual work with the plant and its ability to ward off evil and ward off bad spirit, but also its super protective um, qualities. And so, yeah, that score involves the performers sleeping (laughs) with Rue for an extended period of time and um, reciting directives each night to make contact with the plan in different ways. And then at the end of the time period, improvising together with one another, allowing all of the individual work that each person had done in their relationship with the plant through their waking, but also through their dreaming Mm. with the plant and brings that work into the present individually and then collectively with one another. There was a specific form that I composed for the night of the performance, which was a solo interpretation of the piece, a duo with Nava Dunkelman and then a trio with Zena Parkins and Eva Mendoza and I. Thanks for sharing that. That's really, really exciting. And it probably lives on the YouTube. It does. Yeah, there's a recording on the YouTube and on the roulette archives. Yeah. We'll put it in the show notes too so people can go click click through if they want. Did the musicians you were working with experience any interesting things as a result of this, of living with the Rue? Yeah. Folks would share with me throughout the time period during rehearsal and the night of kind of what their experiences had been. They all were super profound to me (laughs) and deep. There's a facet of the score that also involves asking Rue for help to to free you from what no longer serves you Mm. and to rid the body of that for you. And so I think that was a huge part of what people spoke to, their experience of having those parts of them, the parts that no longer served them, shift. I'm curious what the like aftercare of a piece like that looks like, or mm. debrief, or to spend seven days or 36 days in a piece process, um, or a process piece. Yeah. <laughs> what happens afterwards? That's a great question. 
it's often, I feel like this pretty weird sense of detachment or like disorientedness and everyone's busy and either had a gig the following night after or work the next morning or, you know, there's no day of rest. (laughs) Yeah. The piece was composed for those people involved, you know. When I think about instrumentation, I think about people. So I, you know, had ongoing conversations with everyone mm-hmm. afterwards in different forms, in text or in coffee or <laughs> in person. Mm-hmm. But I'm also curious how an unstructured aftercare, quote unquote, looks. How do people want to make contact after a piece like that? As you were saying with instrumentation and collaborators and how instrumentation is is just personnel, which I totally agree with. It's kind of how TAC was founded too. We're like, hey, we like each other. Mm-hmm. <laughs> what is this instrumentation? I will figure it out later. Um, as we mentioned a little bit at the beginning, this festival, when we were thinking about you know who to invite, we really just wanted to bring in this very alive, potent painting, I guess, of just the, the amazing experimental ecosystem in our immediate zone not necessarily just new york sour spirits coming in uh, and, and so in that way it's a lot about it's a lot about relationships it's a lot about musical relationships an ecosystem is of course just a relationship but in that vein i wonder if you could tell us a little bit about how relationship and community come into your work or if there are any sort of uh, relational practices that you want to share with the listeners i mean I think improvised music is inherently relational. It's inherently social music. It's inherently radical music. And that also, to me, is a deeply political thing. Improvised music comes from black music, the black music tradition, African-American tradition, and the jazz continuum. At least that's my entry point. So that said, yeah, I think community and being in relation to one another is vital. And what that looks like is a lot of different things. That looks like care, you know, reaching out to folks, being in touch with folks who are grieving or who are going through something or who need some extra support in some way. I think it's, yeah, showing up for people in a myriad of ways, whether that's like literally showing up for their gig, if you can, or like showing up for folks in different ways. I think it's creating space and spaces for people to play and to hang out and exchange ideas, compensating people for their time and energy, finding grant money, finding community resources so that people can survive and thrive. Yeah, ultimately, I guess it's like, yeah, it's really listening, listening to where people are at, what they need, what they desire. I think it always comes out in the music. Mm -hmm. And I think it is also like, you know, I want to work with people and be in relationship and relation to folks who I love how they listen and how I feel like the contact we make you know, feels, that's not a sentence, but yeah, (laughs) like making music is so vulnerable and so intimate. Mm -hmm. And I know we are all always dealing with so many things and struggling in a lot of different ways. 
but also being able to be in relation to folks to to celebrate one another and to like experience so many joyful moments together and making sure like there's space for that to happen even though sometimes it feels like we're all like pretty exhausted and <laughs> have no time um, other than like seeing each other at gigs maybe making sure it's like also a fucking celebration we get to do this what a privilege and a pleasure to like witness one another in these moments of all kinds of things whether it's like oh man i just like really sucked you know <laughs> like but you're there <laughs> and like i really appreciate you being there or moments where like i don't know like lester st louis took a solo last oh. night that like brought me to tears and i was funny. playing you know sitting down next to him and i was just like wow was so i'm beautiful. so grateful for it all you know Oof. what a thing that like those moments happen and like to be alive and to feel them there's something about at least the way i perceive it improvised music is so vulnerable compared to you know i do a lot of singing notated music where i haven't really made many musical decisions necessarily i'm just transmitting decisions someone else has made and that is very vulnerable too but there's like a layer of structure there that sort of protects my psyche I feel like and in improvised music when you're making the music and you're making all the decisions well maybe you're not making all the decisions in the moment there's obviously practice and ways that you prepare but um I think it's cool that improvised music kind of demands a little more vulnerability and intimacy and it demands a different kind of relationship between um musicians i don't know if you agree with that statement that's not a question but uh. <laughs> for sure i grew up playing and i still sometimes play like thoroughly notated stuff you know and get calls for that but i grew up playing in orchestras and symphonies and but also being in relationship to the people i was playing with you know, in different ways. And that, like you said, yeah, it's like, has its own hue of vulnerability always. But yeah, as an improviser, you're making these choices in the moment with other people in relation to one of uh, other people and in relation to what you're hearing and what you're feeling. It's funny, like, I, we've made it this far in the interview and like, I guess it's funny to like, I mean, all my playing is about feeling <laughs> you know yeah form and you know duration and et cetera, et cetera. but like embodiment you know is so much about feeling yourself and feeling other people around you and literally feeling the vibration of yourself and the person next to you or the person across from you and yeah playing what you need to and what you feel like you need to or making choices based on that and sometimes, yeah, the choice is to not play. Just played a, a couple of shows with Joanna Matry, Chris Williams, and Patrick Shiroshi. And like, there's so many moments in that quartet where I love like sitting back and just listening to what's unfolding. Mm. I mean, Patrick lives on the West Coast and we're all busy and we don't get a chance to play quartet often. And so it feels so rich to just be like, man, it's so good to hear everybody play with each other and like what we sound like when we're together. It's so 
specific to me. So yeah, feeling mm -hmm. and choices also, of course, involve not playing and playing silence sometimes too. Of course, we all know that. You gotta feel it all. Oof. You gotta oh, feel yes. it all. There's no other choice. Let it rain. Boundaries are great though. Boundaries are awesome. Energetic too. Whoa. So vital. That's a whole nother two hour long segment. Energetic boundaries as an improviser. <laughs> Yo. That's a whole thing. That's a thing. series. That's a series. That's a whole thing. Can you give like a taste of what you're talking about with energetic boundaries? This is energy music. Vibration is energy. Energy is vibration and people are playing themselves. And depending on who you're playing with, that's uh, a complicated thing. And so I think it's really important energetically to know where your lines are mm -hmm. and know how to protect yourself, both in the moment in playing and then afterwards at the bar, packing up how people interact with one another or especially after such a vulnerable thing, mm -hmm. you know. I was at CalArts as a visiting teaching artist and there was a student in the class that I was in who asked me that. They were like, how do you protect yourself energetically as an improviser? Like your work is so vulnerable. We also talked in that class, like a lot of people were sharing just the micro and macro aggressions that they experience as musicians in classrooms, like in school, and also like on their scenes, et cetera, et cetera. So we were talking a lot about like, yeah, how to process that and how to take care of yourself or how people do that for themselves. Mm -hmm. um, I think that's a lifelong process and I think it's always changing, but I think it's vital. I know I spent years just like being like, why do I feel this way? <laughs> Whoa, after this gig and like thinking like, well, what happened? Oh, that happened in the music. And then, oh, that person said that to me after, you know, I got off stage or like violent shit, or just like really fucked up shit, you know, energetically or otherwise. I mean, all of it, you know, <laughs> the otherwise includes energetic, yeah. right? I think that is something perhaps people don't talk about a lot or they talk about after it happens or after something really egregious happens. Mm -hmm. But I think it's important to sometimes name it and just call it what it is and see what comes out of that conversation with other people. I feel like it takes, for me, it takes a lot of courage to try to implement a new boundary. Oh, yeah. <laughs> right. And that that's like that idea of vulnerability and responsibility being like two sides of the same coin. To have responsibility is to be vulnerable and to be vulnerable is a responsibility, which is so exciting. I always think of this moment, uh, like a, a remarkable lesson I had once, I don't know, maybe 10 years ago with Tara Helen O'Connor. What were we working on? Like Nielsen Flute Concerto or something like that. And I was playing the cadenza and it's all this like, it's like amazing, amazing part. Anyways, she was like, can you play this with a little more maturity? And I was like, yeah, okay. I think this is what she said anyways. I don't mean to misattribute Tara, but this is how I remember it. She's like, can you play this with a little more maturity? And I was like, oh, yeah. So what is that going to mean to me? I'm like, <laughs> I'm like thinking about like how paced my vibrato is. I'm thinking about like the taper and the notes being so precise. And I go in again, I'm like, ah! <laughs> and she's like, to be mature is to be vulnerable. Please play it again. Oh. And I was like, oh, 
You know, that's like a God roller damn. coaster feeling. Should we like ask Gabby some really important questions about like um <laughs> no, I hate this question. Okay, this is gonna be super fun. We okay. can always edit Would it out. Would you rather? We're gonna ask you. Okay. <laughs> Would you rather be um, living in a shark diving cage for six months, but you could be friends with the sharks, or would you rather be living in like a bear sighting blind, but you couldn't be friends with the bears? Sharks. Would you rather be able to time travel or feel into anyone else's body whenever you wanted to? (laughs) I think I can do both those things now. I've got a really important one here, really hard-hitting question. Would you rather have a meal that's all corn or a meal that's all black beans? No, chickpeas. No, black beans, black beans. Corn. Okay. If you had to play a new instrument... Would you rather Flute. play trumpet or drums? Trumpet. Who well, am surprised <laughs> by that? Would you rather play trumpet or flute? Trumpet. Would you rather play trumpet or flute? I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> well, I'm still... maybe utter heartbreak is a great place to end. Fuck. <laughs> drums. I play drums. <laughs> I take it all back. No, it's cool. It's cool. You know, it makes sense. Fuck. It makes sense. <laughs> Gabby, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Thank you so much for having me and super looking forward to Swoonfest. May 5th and 6th at the Clemente. Gabby's trio is 7 p.m. on May 6th, but we're running a pre-sale discount. So if you get your tickets before 420, because we're all mature adults here, you can get a wonderful wonderful savings so come both nights save big experience ecstasy cry into your friends hands feel loved yes you this has been the talk editions podcast with gabby fluke mogul Catch Gabby in a phenomenal trio with Cheshire Holmes and Mara Rosenblum on May 6th at 7pm at the Clemente as part of Swoonfest. More information about the festival is at the link in the show notes or at talkensemble.com. This podcast was produced by Marina Kifferstein, Laura Cox and Charlotte Mundy and edited by Charlotte Mundy. The music at the beginning and end of this podcast is from Love Songs, an album by Gabby Flukmogel. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe, rate, and review our podcast and share it with a friend. We so appreciate it. See you at Swoonfest, and thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.